I said to Jake as uh, we pulled in at the same time, right on time at 1025, <laughs> I said, uh, he said, how you doing? I'm good. How you doing? Good. My wife said, Freedom Foursquare, where your wife came from. And I talked to Mark, who was in Texas uh, uh, this week for things. But there's nowhere I'd rather be than right here, right now. I was one of those little guys that was raised in a church situation where the church that I was in became my family. And when my dad died, it became even more family. And so for me, it was normal to invite my friends and neighbors to church. And we did that because I'd seen my parents go around and pick up people and bring them to church. I'd seen my grandparents have this international pickup where my granddad put two-by-fours in the back and a canopy on top just to bring kids to church. So that was my mentality growing up, is this is normal. The enemy doesn't want this to be normal. The enemy wants this to be anything but normative in people's lives. So walking into a gathering like this this morning, where I want to be, and seeing the Spirit of God come upon a worship team, and seeing all of us not really caring how much time we're giving, we're just here with God, is just great. The Bible talks about being detained before the Lord. You ever been in a devotional time where you're praying in the morning before you, you leave, and you just feel like you know you need to leave, but you don't want to leave the prayer time? Ever had that happen? God does that at points, where he's just like, I want you. I want more of you. I want to give you some revelation. I want to, I want to fill you up for your day because I know what's coming in your day. So hang with me a little bit. And God is a God who's up to some stuff here today. And like Jason was saying, I do have a sense that what I'm supposed to deliver to you today is timely with what God desires to do. I thought I'd wear some green today because I know they're Green Bay Packers fans in the house. I do know that. Um, back in the day, I liked the Packers until I learned about the Niners. And back in the day, Bart Starr was my favorite quarterback until I understood who Joe Montana was. And I always loved Vince Lombardi until I met Bill Walsh. So, I mean, I'm, I'm there for you at many points, but I did have to say that uh, I wore this for you guys so you wouldn't cut me off on the mic or the video or anything like that. So you're week two in a series on chasing the wind. Book of Ecclesiastes, small book, wisest man who ever lived besides Christ wrote that book, says so in chapter 1, verse 1. And the interesting thing about that book, it, it's really kind of interesting. One of my uh, mentors, Southern California, said, man, I just think that, I think when he wrote that book, he, he was just kind of off and he wasn't really walking with the Lord. And I'm like, ah, I don't know if I can go there. But you certainly can see when you read the book of Ecclesiastes that Solomon has experienced so much, learned so much, owned so much, that he's, it's kind of all meaningless to him because he's had everything. Do you know what I'm saying? He's got it all. He's got 300 wives and 600 porcupines. I mean, concubines. I mean, there's, he's got all this stuff, and he's experienced everything. And I think it's kind of like, for the sports fans among us, it's kind of like when you win your first championship, Michael Jordan hugging the, the championship trophy, not wanting to let it go, crying because you've reached the mountain, 
But as soon as you let go of that, you're like, wait, I thought that was going to fulfill me forever. And I think that's what Solomon at points feels. He says it's a chasing after the wind, which he says nine times in the book. It's chasing. I thought, I thought that would do it. That didn't do it. And I thought that would do it. And that didn't do it. And, and I, I just kind of feel his pain in terms of what he's looking for. And it certainly comes across the pages. <clears throat> As he goes through the book, I counted 79 times in that little 11, 12, 13 chapter book where he mentions time issues in his mind. He references season, times, time, days, just a bunch of times that he's there. And so what I'd like to talk to you about this morning is seasons, times, and days, how will you live? Seasons, time, and days, how are you going to live? If you've got your Bible, you can take a look there. Um, it's right there kind of in the middle of your Bible. So seasons, we'll start there. Seasons. And I'll get to my Bible here, get your Ecclesiastes 3, where I'm at. And you, you have a great series coming up with different preachers that'll be here. So I'm number two. I got my assigned orders, and I'm going for it. 3.1, there is a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. Seasons. Did you notice that we got snow in the middle of April? Did you get that out here? What was that all about? I thought we were like into spring, but no. I get up in the morning, it's like, there's snow out there. What was that? The 15th? 13th? 14th? 13th? Snow. Seasons. It seemed wrong because it seemed like the wrong season. And yet, I guess we need it. Every year, people say, there's not enough snow on the mountains. There's not going to be enough snow. We're not getting enough rain back. We're not going to get the water. It's going to be terrible. And every year, God's just like, fine, there, there's more snow for you, whatever you need. He's so, he, isn't he gracious? All my life, he has been. That's right, every time. So we're in these seasons. And I think at points, if we can discern the seasons, and here at Living Way, you're in a season of growth. It's very cool. Very cool how you're trying to roll out things electronically into the, the city and making sure we're budgeted up and staffed up and people are trained and things. It's very exciting to be in a season like that, is it not? Very exciting. So when you know you're in a particular season, it helps us to kind of process in a way that is appropriate. So Brad, if you go home today and you're like, I got a song in my mind. I got a, I got a song. I got to let the song out, right? And you get that thing going, that's a part of the season that you're in at this point. So in this season, then God takes time to do certain things in our season. Of course, one of the things we love about being in the Pacific Northwest is having four seasons. How many people, your favorite season is spring? Can I see those? Your favorite season is spring. Wow. How many people, your favorite season is autumn or fall? See the, okay. Favorite season is summer. How many people, you love winter? Yeah, so all of us. My, uh, right, my second son lives in Alberta, and they have snow six months out of the year. They're just there all the time. And so large houses, uh, game rooms, 
everything you can think of that you can do inside. And he misses the definition of the seasons down here. Hello, Evan. God bless you. So if you look at uh, Ecclesiastes 3, we're going to show you a little video here that'll kind of get you thinking about the time markers within the seasons we're a part of. Thanks, guys.
Do you remember who sang that song, Old People Among Us? Birds, Birds that's right. Do you know who wrote it? Pete, Pete Seeger did that. That's right. And I was online looking at Pete Seeger recently. He was 90, and he was still singing that song. And he sung it in all different situations. Some of the members of the band, the Birds, were not saved when that song came out and then found Christ during that whole time. Isn't that amazing? Amazing story. And the, the song, for many of us who grew up in the 60s and 70s, that song says a whole lot about all the things we experience. So there's 28 different times that Solomon uses there's a time of, and then he has 14 chron contrasting statements. But when you think about the things that have happened in our lives and the pain we've experienced, all of us, time to be born, a time to die. My 96-year-old mom asked me the other day, honey, is it okay if I pray to go home to be with Jesus? Sure, mom, that's okay. But it's painful. A time to plant, time to uproot, time to kill, time to heal, time to tear down, and a time to build. A time to weep, a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to embrace, a time to refrain. Sorry, I can't do that. A time to search, a time to give up. A time to keep, a time to throw away. A time to tear, a time to mend. A time to be silent, a time to speak. Time to love, time to hate, time for war and a time for peace. Boy, have we known that as we speak. In each one of these situations, I think that the way we respond to those things in our lives has something to do with how we're going to become disciples of Christ at a deeper level. Because if I look at something that happens in my life and I say, that's too much, God, I'm not going to allow you to use that there's no way you can use that in my life, then it just becomes a sticking point of not being able to grow in Christ. Divorce, loss of a child, someone who embarrassed us publicly, a wreck, something that we can't get rid of. It's just like, oh, God can never use that. Where in God's economy, he wastes nothing. And he uses everything. Ecclesiastes 3 11, just a moment after that, he says, he's made everything beautiful in its time. So I've got to give that to the Lord, and I've got to give him time and room to work that in my life and make it good. I was reading a book one time. Young preacher Terry Law started out an itinerary uh, music and worship ministry, and his wife died in the, the youngness of their marriage in a car accident. He was devastated. He went to see his pastor, and he said, man, what am I going to do with this? I don't think God's good. I can't get past the fact that my wife died. He let my wife die. Here I am doing his work. What's he doing? That I, I just don't think I can, I just can't muster it up. I just, I don't think God's good. And the pastor said, you just need to go home and start praising the Lord. No matter what you feel, you just need to do it. And that's a hard thing to hear when we feel like we've got something that we can put against God or someone and say, this isn't good and no way you're going to turn it around and make it good. 
So Terry went home and kind of describes this gut-wrenching presence or, or process where, God, you're good, and oh, you're good, and, you know, he's carrying this with his wife, and, oh, you're good, and even though we, kids are good, and, and it took some time, but ultimately, he got to the place where the praise of God was flowing from him, and he truly believed that God is good, because God is good all the time. That's right. And guess what became the marker of Terry's ministry? Helping people break through the difficulties of their lives and still believe God is good in the midst of difficult situations. Because if you tie yourself to circumstances to make you happy, you will never be happy. Because circumstances are always changing. Somebody's always not going to like me. Some politician's always going to be in there that I didn't vote for. Some inflationary tendency or something I thought I needed and wanted and wanted to buy for, it's out of reach. And if I need that to be happy, I'm never going to be happy. But Paul describes this kind of internal peace and joy to rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say, I have a friend that he gets up every morning, Doug, and he says, God, you are good. God, you are good. God, you are good. You are good. You are good. And after he begins to do that for a little bit, his spirit's getting on board with the fact that God is good. God is good. Is good. And he says every morning he kind of rehearses that before the Lord, and God is good. And then we begin to carry that through the day. And people are like, what, what's up with you, man? You're always smiling. What's, God's good. Can I say that at work? God's good. And then somebody from the background goes, all the time. <laughs> so seasons, time, letting God work his purpose, that we're keeping his name on our lips, his word in our heart, and we're waiting for his time to work those things out. And then the last piece, season, time, are days. Over in Ecclesiastes chapter 7 of this 12-chapter book, he says it this way, verse 10. Do not say, why were the old days better than these? You ever catch yourself doing that? Oh, man, back in the 70s, it was great. A Chevelle and my hair, and she sat right there next to me. It was great. Patience is better than pride. Let's get down here to the next one. Um, mm, 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 verse 14. When times are good, be happy. And when times are bad, consider God has made the one as well as the other. When times are good, be happy. This is Solomon. When times are bad, consider God has made one as well as the other. There's no testimony without a test. I can't experience the provision of God without a need. I can't be healed without having sickness. 
I can't experience more of the Holy Spirit without admitting I need more. My marriage can't get to the next level without admitting it's not where it needs to be. I can't get closer to my kids without acknowledging there's something I'm doing that's keeping me apart from them. So it's, it's that song and spiritual dance between being not and yet looking to the one who will fill me and make me everything I need to be. I think sometimes in the church world, we evaluate things based on buildings and songs and feelings and sermons and staff and all of these things. And sometimes, sadly, it's kind of a marker of, of how are all those things doing when I think the Lord is just looking for, can you just give me your attention here? I'll be relentless until I get all of you. When I come into a situation like that, whether it's how I grew up Baptist, Presbyterian, Sunday of God, Foursquare, Independent, another nation, it really doesn't matter about all that stuff. What matters is, are God's people there? Do they have a heart for him? And has a spirit arrived because two or three are gathered in his name? And when those basic foundational things have happened. It's amazing what God can do. Don't let yourself be distracted by if we only have this or that. There are people that have this or that that don't have this, that don't have this. Be thankful for the fact the Holy Spirit comes because you're hungry for him to come. Amen? Amen. I've always found that when I speak somewhere, you guys have been a great part of helping me understand that seems to be the next phase in my life. But where I speak somewhere, the people that are hungry think I'm the best speaker of all time. That guy is just incredible. He shows up just when I need a word and just when I need something from God and I'm looking at that. That's because you're hungry. That's because you want more of God. That's because you're looking to God for direction and you're so hungry, I just give out a, Big Mac here or there or whatever it is. And you're like, that's the best ever. Yeah, because you're hungry. And having a hunger for God, God says, if we are hungry, he will fill us. That's right. So season, times, and it all breaks down then to how we live our days. If we're in a season, which you are, which I am, if we're having these different times, the birth, the death, the uh, tearing, the sowing, the uprooting, the planting, if we're having all those times within a season, and God's using that within our season to work our character and draw us closer to Christ, how am I going to live daily? Like my friend Doug, who, Jesus, I love you. I get up, and God, you're good. Well, here, I think, is uh, Solomon's take on this whole thing, and this is so excited to me. Chapter 9, verse 7. Probably come up there. Why don't we read this together, shall we? This is NIV. Go, eat your food with gladness, and drink your wine with a joyful heart, for God has already approved what you do. Always be clothed in white, and always anoint your head 
with oil. Enjoy life with your wife, whom you love, all the days of this meaningless life that God has given you under the sun. That's good. It starts out really encouraging, and then you're like, there he is again, bringing up that meaningless stuff. Come on, Solomon. Come on, man. Give me a break. Yeah, but I've experienced all this. And Solomon, you've got you to gotta keep it going, man. You need to get up in the morning and say, God is good. God is good. God is good. Because he is good. Here's how the message version says it. Seize life. Eat bread with gusto. Drink wine with a robust heart. Oh, yes. God takes pleasure in your pleasure. Don't you love that? Dress festively every morning. Don't skimp on the colors and the scarves. Relish life with the spouse you love each and every day of your life. Each day is God's gift. It's all you get in exchange for the hard work of staying alive. Make the most of each one. Isn't that great? I had a uh, girl, Lisa, who's now an evangelist, and Lisa uh, was in our church in Altadena, California, and we, did, we went to Ireland together for three weeks with my wife and little one, and it was just amazing. Lisa always had a bow in her hair every day. That's just how she rolled. That's how she got ready. That's how she did life. I have a girl uh, that I work with at the Clackamas Costco. I call her Hawaii. She has a name tag, but I forget her name. But Hawaii always has a flower in her hair. Always. My grandmother wore bling. I think my grandmother went to bed with bling on. That's how she rolled. That's how they dress themselves. That's the choice they make for how they're going to live. Your favorite sweatshirt, Jason? Even though it had a little thing here and somebody called you on it, favorite sweatshirt? I think that speaks to how are we going to live? The message says, put on color. Don't skimp on scarves. Do the, do the bling that you need to do. Do the things that you need to do to let you kind of be you. Think about that spiritually. What am I going to put on today spiritually for my day? What am I going to clothe myself with? Well, back in the NIV here, it says, verse 8, always be clothed in what? So, for the theologians among us, when you talk about white, here's my Four Square Pentecostals, uh, Foundations of Pentecostal Theology by Guy Duffield and <clears throat> Nathaniel Van Cleef, who was my preaching teacher at Life Bible. Thank you, Nathaniel. They will say that white has to do with the forgiveness and the righteousness that God imparts to us in Revelation chapter 7, it says, they have washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb. They were asked the question, who are these that are coming with these white robes? So when I get up in the morning, I've got to know that I've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. Amen? And we are going to take communion in a few minutes, and that will reaffirm to us. Jake will lead us in that. But when I get up in the morning, the stuff I've done from yesterday, that's got to be gone. I don't want to be hanging and pulling this in from some 
relationship that I, I'm, ah, I should have said that. Or should, man, if you need to repent, repent. You need to ask them, somebody, forgive you, forgive you. Get beyond that. Let's go. We've got a new day in front of us. Make the most of every day, Solomon says. Always be clothed in white. 1 John chapter 1. If we confess our sins, he is and to and from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make ourselves out to be a liar. If we have sinned, that's the truth. So we ask God to forgive us and we go on. That's how it works. I've got to admit, I did that. I wish I wouldn't have done that. I need to go to some people where James says, confess your sins one to another, pray and you'll be healed. Some people that I have hurt, offended, it's good for me to go and say, can you forgive me, please? And it's there for them. And hopefully the Lord brings about that healing again. Going through a <clears throat> difficult thing with a close friend of mine that they're in the midst of a tearing divorce. It's terrible. Hate it. Kid, all that stuff. And it's, <clears throat> you've done life together for years, and now that's going apart. Money's involved and all that. And my approach to, <clears throat> I know both ends of them, but I'm closer to one. My approach is you just have to walk in forgiveness. Yeah, but there, there was this new thing. I know, I know, but it, it's just almost a daily. You got to go to the well to get some more of that blood that'll cleanse that situation and keep you right so that you're not under it, but you're over it. Amen. So always being clothed in white. That's my daily bling, spiritually speaking, that I put on. Number two, he says, anoint your head with oil. I love this. So I'm in my theological book. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news. The picture is that he's being anointed with oil, Isaiah 61. And my boys here said, oil symbolizes the Holy Spirit's anointing and the empowerment of believers for kingdom work. So Solomon says, every day you're getting up with, what are you going to put on? Well, put on those white robes, those, that white shirt. Be dressed in that understanding of, I'm forgiven because of what Christ did. Secondly, make sure that you're anointed with what the Holy Spirit's doing in your life so that you take that with you where you go. That's how you dress every day. These seasons are amazing that we're in. Someone has said, we've either just come through a trial, we're in a trial, or we're about to go into a trial. I tend to see it as exercise. I tend to see it as, well, if there's hard times, there must be something that God's trying to do in my life to make me stronger. Not that I've done anything wrong. It's just that he wants me to continue to grow up as a man of God or you to grow up as a woman of God. And so these trials that we're in, they're so prevalent that Paul says, rejoice when you're in these trials because trials produce perseverance and perseverance hope. And hope, character. 
or one translation says proven character. You've done those push-ups so many times. You've run so many miles. You've worked those lats so many times that now you've got what you need to do what I've got for you to do, spiritually speaking. God desires for us to be clothed in white and anointed by the Spirit of God every day so that he can flow his spirit through us. Amen. You pray with me. Lord, thank you for the season that we are in. Thank you as we sang those songs earlier that you will never let us go. You are relentless towards us, and we want to be relentless towards you. But I pray right now for those of us that have been rocked by some of the times and the things that have happened to us, the losses, the deaths, the offense, the financial tragedies, the healings that we're still looking to you for, Lord, I pray for those things that they would come under you and under your perusal. And like the writer says there that you've made all things beautiful in its time, in their time. We pray, Lord, that you would take these things and you would begin to make them beautiful in your time. If you've got a thing like that, that is just like, man, that has been a tough one. And that one has hurt. And I'm having a hard time just getting through it. But I want to give that to the Lord and to affirm he's got that. He's got that. Would you raise your hand here? No embarrassment. God sees it. Lord, those painful things all over this room in homes with people watching here. Lord, we give you those things and you know them. And just verbalize that on your tongue. Lord, I'm giving you, yeah, I'm giving you that, Lord. The big stuff, and maybe for some of us, just stuff that just dogs us. I'm giving you that. I'm giving you that. Lord, we give that to you right now. We give you that. whether that's choices we've made, whether it's things that have been done to us. Lord, we give you that in Jesus' name. Jake, could you come and lead us in communion in a way that would kind of let us put that under the blood of what Jesus has done and is doing? So uh, we uh, at uh, Living Way and as a Foursquare denomination, we practice open communion. And we mention that every time we take communion so that if you're with us and you're not a member of Foursquare, you understand that we consider you to still be a member of the exact same body if you believe in Jesus. So if you believe in Jesus, it doesn't matter if, if your name's written down in a Foursquare book. What matters is if it's written down in the Lamb's Book of Life. If it's there, you're welcome to have communion with us because we are one big family of God. And so I'm going to give you just a moment. 
How we do that here is we don't uh, necessarily go around and pass the little tray if you've experienced that before. What we have is in the corner there by the sound booth and up here at the front are uh, black tables. So one here, one back there. They've got communion uh, packets on them. And basically you have this top packet here that's got the, the wafer in it. So that's that top little thin saline uh, packet. I've seen people struggle with it, so I thought I'd give you a heads up how it works. So you pull that open, and then you can pull the purple one forward, and that gets you to the juice there. Um, and uh, there's also, if you, if you go up there and you see a little clear cup that's got a little piece of bread in it, that one is gluten-free. So if any of you are like me and will be very sick taking communion, uh, we don't think that you're possessed. We just know that <laughs> you've got a problem. Uh, with wheat. So I'm going to give you a moment. Go ahead, feel free to stand up. Uh, you can send your spouse to go get an extra one for you, and then we'll gather back together. as you have a seat. Um, I, whenever I do communion, I often do it through Corinthians uh, because I love the fact that one, it's from a, a perspective of Paul um, speaking to the church uh, about the, this practice as a standard practice and how it was founded by Jesus. But what I really like about it too is that it's coming from the context of him correcting the church for not having the right attitude when they did it. And uh, and Paul is not a guy who minces words. Uh, he's the kind of guy that went up and called out the leader of the church, Peter, in front of a whole bunch of people for not sitting with, with the non-Jewish Christians. I mean, he was a bold dude. He's, you know, a couple of years prior, he's persecuting the church. They forgive him. And then all of a sudden he's going up to the leader. Hey, I'm going to call you out. I mean, he's a serious dude. Uh, cracks me up, actually. And... Uh, and part of me feels like maybe he and I will be friends just because I've, I've met people like that and become close friends with them. Um, but he's calling out the church for having the wrong attitude. And because they had the wrong attitude, it was making this expression meaningless, which I think fits with what we've been talking about. It, it's empty and meaningless. And so one of the biggest problems they had is that they'd come together and people would bring their own food with them. And some people would eat like crazy. Some people would get drunk while other people in the church had nothing to eat because they were poor. And Paul gets very furious about this. I'm going to read just a little section of it just so you get an idea of his, his attitude. He said, when you come together, it is not the Lord's supper that you eat. For in eating, each one of you goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? I like an exclamation point. What? I love that. Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you for doing this? No, I will not. <laughs> Brutal. 
brutal. I kind of think this is where potluck started. (laughs) Okay, we'll bring our food, but we'll share it. (laughs) There will always be that thing with barbecued little sausages and meatballs in it for some reason. But we all kind of like it, don't we? Yeah. So... um, it's important because this is an expression. When we do communion, it's a physical expression. And there are a lot of other traditions in the church that do a lot of things that are, um, that are uh, repetitive physical expressions, lighting candles when they pray, things like that. And when we do this communion together, it's a physical expression. And physical expressions have so much opportunity because it's us taking something that's an internal reality and incarnating it in our actions but it can be meaningless if there's no meaning behind it. A kiss can be a really moving and powerful, affectionate expression, or it can be meaningless, or it can be hurtful. Jesus was betrayed by being kissed. And so what I want to do is I want us to think about some of that stuff that Reese was talking about, the, those, things, those, uh, those things in life that if there wasn't Jesus, life would be meaningless. I feel like Ecclesiastes goes over all of this, leaving the gap that if there's nothing, if there's no way, if there's no provision from God apart from this, then just enjoy what you can. But like Reese was saying, Jesus gives us meaning in all that hardship and all that difficulty, and it is not meaningless but only because of what he provided, which we are just now going to physically express by eating bread that represents the body that was crushed for us and the blood that was spilled out for us to make our lives no longer meaningless. So let's do that and not let it be meaningless internally. Now I'll read through this section, and if you uh, want to take communion along with me or on your own time, feel free to do that. But I'm going to read through it. And when we do that, take some time to be meditative. Don't feel like you have to follow me with it immediately. If you need to think this over to make it meaningful before you do it, do it. Whatever it is you want to do. But think of those things that we struggle with and think of what this represents. That despite all those hardships and things that you go through, God has made a way and he's going to make things right. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, He also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. 
God, we give you this time. You know, I think, I think when Brad was quiet and he took a moment to, as we said, linger before God, I like that. That's exactly what that was. I was lingering before God. Let's take a second. I know it might feel a little awkward, but just relax into it and let's take just a moment to be quiet. Think about that and let's linger. us that purpose and meaning while we go through the things that seem so purposeless and meaningless, so difficult and hard. God, I often find myself making the mistake that Solomon says here not to make. I look back and I'll often say, why were the days before better? What if I really sit and think about it? There was a lot of not better. And I know that I cling to locations and places, people's houses that they sell and then I get depressed that they're gone. And, and I cling to, uh, to places where I've felt your ministry, like uh, uh, going to camp and things like that. And God, you bring clarity and understanding that what I experienced in those moments was you. All that other stuff, the locations, Camp Crestview, my grandparents' house, the uh, houses in Bend, and all these places that I've gone and enjoyed and have felt your presence, God, they are vapor. And if I go after those things, they're going to be gone. But you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And you were the consistent thing. You were there for me then. You will be there for me now. And God, I have faith that no matter what's in the future, you're going to be there too. And we have meaning and purpose that those moments that we have where we get to experience such a fullness of your goodness in our lives, Lord God, that those are just a foretaste. They're just a, a glimpse of what you have for us in the future, that your resurrection from the dead will be something we'll follow you into and that there is an eternity that is nothing but those little glimpses that we keep trying to reach back and grab in our history. So I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.